Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. And we are coming from the border of liberty and prosperity. On safetyfm.com, it's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, January 10th. As I remind everybody, it is afternoon drive time in L.A. So what's going on out there? I hope uh, now uh, OSHA finally updated its website today for the news releases and the press releases. So we'll be going through that uh, a little bit later on. You can join us on uh, social media, uh, Jim Polzel, J-I-M-P-O-E-S-L, uh, at Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Uh, I plan on uh, doing a... Uh, video right on instagram and on facebook on reels uh every day so uh no as a little preview of what we're doing today so check that out that's gonna probably drop every afternoon just to let you know i am going uh my uh do have extended family with uh covid uh suffering from covid uh this week and uh they're making a recovery but uh, let's remember that I'm, uh, I might not be here uh, one or two uh, nights uh, because of that. And I normally take the third Monday of every uh, month off uh, for a meeting for an organization I belong to that's near and dear uh, to my heart. Okay, so what are we talking about today? We had... Had a discussion over the weekend, rather heated discussion at times, uh, about, hold on, I'm kidding. We had a, that should sound better. I, uh, we had a very heated discussion at times, uh, with some of the uh, people I deal with and everything on specifically calling things what they're supposed to be called. Now you're going to say, well, Jim, what's the big deal, right? And everything else. I'm going to share with you a couple of stories here, actually more than a couple of stories, on what could happen, especially in the workplace where you have people giving, no, uh, having options of the kinds of PPE that they could have. So preferably under, uh, under uh, the best of circumstances, what do we do? You try to put people, uh, using the Jens Rasmussen uh, scheme of things, you try to set up your working environment. And this is where it comes becomes controversial. Well, you can't really do this with construction. You can't do this with environmental cleanups. You can't do this with emergency response. And I say baloney. You can do it. What you need to do is set up the work area so it's clean, right? Maybe emergency response, it can't be that clean, but you can get be organized, give training, and use the correct terminology here. So, for example, uh, 
here we have. I'll share. I'll just jump right into the uh, examples here, rather than give explanations. And I do realize that people have articulation issues where they cannot use nouns, so use pronouns. I have a couple of family members like that. Uh, people have uh, stutter are stutterers, and uh, guess what? That that happens where they use substitute words. But outside of that, uh, let me. So, here's a little uh, factoid for you. All right, uh, color blindness, also known as enchroma. A lot of people, right, and it's estimated that there are 300 million colorblind people in the world. Color blindness is more common than you think. One in 12 men is colorblind, while one in 200 women may have the condition. That means 95% of the colorblind community are men. 98% of those with colorblindness have red-green colorblindness. So in your workforce, uh, no, and there's varying kinds. So in your workforce, you're going to be looking at like one in 12 men, if it's predominantly men, are colorblind. A lot of men. One in 200 women, not as much, but there are colorblind women uh, with this. Uh, you know, uh, something to remember, colorblind is normal for babies. And then as they grow, their color vision improves and is typically fully developed by six months. And it's possible to be colorblind in one eye and have normal color vision in the other eye. Uh, so, what's the... Uh, What's the uh, uh, thing here, right? You're not, uh, right? Uh, they can't identify uh, 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 colors. So, for example, for colorblind people, met for many of them, a rainbow only appears to have two or three colors, blue and yellow. To a colorblind person, the green light on the stoplight may, may appear white or even blue, while the red and yellow lights may look similar to each other. Many colorblind people struggle to match their black and blue socks and can find themselves a little mismatched from time to time. My wife on our fourth date asked me if I was colorblind. Okay, so. Outside of that, right, using colors to describe PPE may not be a good job. It may not be a good idea. So, story number one. I was working with a company and... Uh, there was a change in management, and I was managing personal protective equipment, PPE, for a year for them, for years, as a consultant. And what happened was, they said, well, look, new management in, we want other people handling personal protective equipment. And I said, yeah, that, thank God, that's the last thing I have to do. They felt that uh, too much money was being spent. They felt that... Uh, uh, people were using too much PPE, wasting it, things of that nature. So we had work, and I'm I'm going to use brand names here. So uh, it's not an endorsement of those products, but we were using brand. I'm going to use brand names here to make it easier. So uh, I had scoped that work. A project that was in the it was in the oil industry and it was using a certain chemical. I'm not going to mention the chemical, and it was uh, scoped out for Tychem QC. I believe it's now called Tychem 2000. Tychem QC. 
uh, and it was a yellow colored suit. So they kept, uh, the job hazard analysis and everything else was written up and all the safety plans, Tycam QC. When I was in charge, Tycam QC. When there was a change of management, right, they insisted on saying yellow suit. They said, I said, no, no, say yellow suit. There are many different types of yellow suits. It should be called Tyke MQC. And when this went on, right, when I was in charge of PPE, personal protective equipment, this went on for years. Had to go on for about six years. Jimmy, you're confusing everyone by calling it Tyke MQC. Well, I said, how is this confusing? It says Tyke MQC on it. The box says Tyke MQC. The manufacturer's label says Tyke MQC. Tyke MQC. Yellow suit. Okay, uh, sorry, not doing, and this is uh, beyond the, uh, right, this is not like a pet peeve, this is a major safety issue. So I get removed from the job from choosing PPE. They run out of Tyke MQC, and they went to another brand. And when they ordered the suits, and this person was, had credentials, right, had credentials, had a lot of experience. And hazardous materials. And he says uh, to the procurement people, get me some of those yellow suits. They said, Jimmy always ordered Tycam QC. So, well, is there another suit we could get that's cheaper? Right? Okay, good move. No companies want cheaper suits. And let me uh, uh, tell you that the procurement person, it turns out, had never attended a safety training class. So what happened, and, you know, did not know any better, right? It wasn't a requirement of his job to, uh, right, to know the different suits. He just put suits in, they told him what they needed, and he ordered. They said, yeah, yeah, and they're yellow and colored, and they're, they're telling him this. So what do you think he goes down and buys? A yellow colored suit. Okay. We get uh, about two, three weeks later, I get a phone call. Ring, 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 ring. Jim, you gotta go to such and such a place. We are having problems. Those suits, those yellow suits. I said, oh, the Tychem's QCC. Yeah, those yellow suits. They had breakthrough on them. The guys have chemical burns all over their face. Uh, you know, where they're, they're hooded. So like in their upper part of their forehead. Right, they have some breakthrough. They also have some breakthrough on their arms. I was like, oh, crap. They're underneath the eye wash. Uh, not the eye wash, the uh, shower, right? Yeah, you called up. Uh, the uh, That site had an emergency response. Yeah, we called them up, blah, blah, blah. I go out there, start, you know, aiding and everything else. All the dust clears. And I said, where the bleep did you get these suits? These are not Tyke MQC suits. What do you mean? We don't understand. They're yellow suits. I said, you know, when the job hazard analysis that you signed, that this was scoped out for Tycam QC suits. You're wearing such and such a brand. Yeah, but they're the yellow suits. Okay. But the procurement person, who told you to buy these, this brand of suit? They said, well, we were told by so-and-so. The new management. I said, well, what did he ask for? He said, yellow suits. And I got you yellow suits. I said, well, did it, 
matter to you that you were ordering Taikam QC suits for at least six years and before I was here, another two or three years, and now you're using this? And you said, well, what's the difference? Yellow suit's a yellow suit. This is from the procurement person. I go back to the manager. I said, how can you using these? And this is scoped out for this. Why? Well, uh, well, yellow suits. I said, first and foremost, different brand and everything else. And as a matter of fact, I looked up. You're in the pet petrochemical industry. I looked up in the uh, cut sheet for the suits. And it specifically said in there, not for use in the petrochemical industry. Not resistant to, not resistant to the specific chemical that we're using, that we were uh, not using, but we're, we're being exposed to. I said, well, this is a problem, isn't it? I said, you're trying to save money with a yellow suit, but not all the yellow suits are the same in number one. And number two, you know that. I know you know that. Well, I thought we'd get by, by with it. And the other guy says, well, now we know why we can't wear them in the rain because the water goes right through them. So we corrected the problem. We moved on. Thank God it was only a first aid case in that case. Second story, different company. They were uh, using... Uh, uh, they were using... They were, they were on two different projects. One of them was the mercury vapor project, mercury project, right? One of the main hazards is mercury vapor. The other one was a uh, hazmat cleanup. They had a whole variety of chemicals, and they were using what you're a combo cartridge. And we had gone the week before when we were setting up these jobs, and everybody involved in the jobs, I said, look, mercury vapor cartridges. For the people going on this job, mercury vapor, that has a color colorimetric indicator tube. This job, combo cartridge, right? They both have green, right? Again, this is where you get into trouble. Both of them had green stickers on them, the green labels. But the difference was one had a green label with a black stripe on it. The other one had a green label with an orange stripe, which is a colorimetric stripe on it. And what the idea is that as you're exposed to mercury, the mercury vapor one had the color stripe, colorimetric stripe, uh, it changes color and it gives you an, it's an end of service life indicator, uh, ESL indicator. So we make the distinction and I said, look, you cannot go by color. You have to read you have to read the cartridge. Everyone understand that? Yeah. It's written on the safety meeting form. You got to read the cartridge. This one is for mercury vapor. This is, we got two jobs running concurrently. We're going to be switching people in between jobs. And consequently, like we mentioned a couple years ago, a couple years, yeah, you know, last year, right? A couple weeks ago. Mercury vapor, the main hazard with it is that it's odorless. So, what do you think happens? The, the, uh, people who, well, the, the people who go to the mercury job grab 
the combo cartridges. The ones that go to the other job, that need the combo cartridges, grab the mercury vapor cartridges. I go there to order the job two or three liters, two or three days. What the hell is this? Well, they're both green. Who grabbed this? And the supervisors grabbed them, and they were the ones in on the meeting. I said, you know, you just overexposed your workers to mercury vapor. Well, we didn't smell anything. And you also were trained that mercury vapor doesn't smell. And you see, you signed a piece of paper that said this. You told me, you affirmed, you were minded, you were told, and everything. Okay. And you other folks were told the same thing about this. You need to combo car, blah, blah, blah. So, what's the solution here in these first two stories? Only buy the cartridges, only buy the suits that you need that you're going to be scoped out for. If there's any change to that, we would call that in a larger organization, management of change, that has to be approved, right, through procurement. And it wouldn't hurt if procurement actually got to learn how to pick out the right suits. Or at least that there was a way of picking out the right suits with that. With the cartridges, uh, what you would do is uh, that company, they had multiple people handing out PPE. How do you resolve that? You have one or two people handing out PPE. And number one, because and number one and number two is that these people have to read. I'm not blaming the employee. I'm blaming the supervisors. Supervisors were okay with this. Supervisors didn't want to take initiative. Supervisors didn't care about safety. They cared about getting the job done. And I, you may say, well, hey, everybody cares about safety. These supervisors did not care about safety because this, their cartridges were the least of their worries. They, and, and culturally, the company was not up to snuff uh, there. And eventually, we uh, turned the company around and everything else. Both companies around got them onto the right track. Third one. This happened many years ago in the mid-90s on a project up in Binghamton, New York. I believe it was 1997. Yep. Yeah. Summer 1997. So a company did a bid on a job, and the it was scoped out for air sampling, EPA methodology. All right. What did the company say? Which is considerably more than the OSHA methodology for air sampling. So what did the, what did the company uh, choose? What do you think? The OSHA methodology for air sampling for community monitoring because it was only $40 a sample as opposed to $200 a sample, which is why they received the bid, was that they were low bid on the job, and this was a New York State uh, DEP job or DEC job, all right? Again, putting the community at risk because the mind of the person doing the bidding for the job and the people running the job was there sampling is there sampling and doesn't matter. 
So they were out there for about six months doing this air sampling. And by the time I showed up on the job, I was doing air sampling and I was doing as I was told. Because again, they were withholding information. They wouldn't let me see the original specs for the job. They wouldn't let my employer see the original specs for the job. And when the DEP finally figured out what was going on, guess what happened? Any idea what happened? They were a little bit upset. So they ended up having to shut the job down for two weeks to go and correct the situation. Again, air sampling is air sampling. Right? Lack of training, lack of knowledge. You're going to have a situation, nothing set up in the skills mode. There's safety issues there. I can have a whole mini-series on on that project. I came into it late. Well, and again, we managed to straighten things out. Fourth story. A company was going into a uh, confined space and there was a chemical in there that was supposed to be cleaned out. But what happened was uh, it was not cleaned out and nobody bothered to check because they. what happened was they had uh, changed the clean-out procedure for a vessel. Uh, they had changed it for a cheaper way of doing it that would be quicker. And then uh, because not the tried and true way that they had been doing for years. So during the shutdown, they're sending in a crew to go in there and do work in the vessel. This is a uh, chemical vessel, right? Process vessel. What ended up happening was uh, a person, oh, there was a chemical in there that was not cleaned out thoroughly enough, and the person uh, got uh, a... Uh, it says that he was wearing a chem suit. Okay. I was, this wasn't on my crew. Right? It was on another crew, the setup crew. He went home, and it was the kind of chemical that, that uh, defats the skin. You don't realize that you got it on you that looks like water and feels like water uh, at the beginning. And then what happens is, uh, what happened to him was around 8 or 9 o'clock at night, he started to feel an irritation on his knee because he was kneeling in this chemical that he thought was water. About 1 o'clock in the morning, the irritation turned into like he wanted to rip the skin off. Burning and everything else, he jumps in the shower. He's in there, Right. And everything else, he sees he's got a chemical burn. He's in the shower and everything else. He says, I can tough it out. I'm a tough guy. Comes into work 7 a.m. in the morning. Reports that he has a chemical burn at around 7.45. He's rushed to the medic on site. They take off his pants, shows the knee. He has fourth degree chemical burns on his knee. Now you're going to say, Jimmy, there's only three kinds of burns. Yeah, there are, that are mentioned. Uh, there, there are, in reality, six. So we're, we're aware of the superficial burn, no, no, formerly known as first-degree burn, then partial dermal, dermal thickness, formerly known as... Uh, 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 formerly known as second-degree burn. Then you have full thickness, formerly known as a third degree bone, then a third degree burn, then at four, uh, he had a fourth degree burn. That means that the chemicals started to go into the ligaments, the tendons, the uh, muscle, 
the bone, and everything else underneath. Pretty serious burn. They rush him to the hospital and everything else. So, the crew I was involved with, we were going in. And again, this is not an endorsement of a particular suit or chemical protective suit or not. Just using the names as a, uh, as a uh, reference, right? Easier to tell the story. We end up, uh, so a person is wearing a suit that uh, was improper. I was called into a meeting because we were going to, hey, we were going to be working the same process vessel uh, to do. They finally got some work done. We were going to continue this guy's work, what he was supposed to be doing, and some other stuff uh, with that. What ended up happening was uh, they, uh, the project manager uh, for that job or someone higher up, they gave me a copy of the accident report. And what do you think they had for, you know, was uh, the permit, the permit issuer writes on there. And it's not so much a permit issuer's fault. He was unaware that the cleaning procedure had been changed and that there was an actual chemical in here that was had a pH of uh, one and a half was in here. He was uh, not aware of that. He was not told that he shouldn't have a pH favor or another indicator to determine whether it's clean. He wasn't told any of this. Remember, he had it was during a shutdown, so he had to write roughly 30 permits that day, work permits, and he wasn't going to go out and check every one of these areas. And as I tell people, right, uh, as I remind people now, knowing Hop and everything else that we've been on the, on this human organizational performance journey, is that you have two extremes. You can have a project completely safe and no work gets done, or you can have a project completely dangerous and fouled up and no work gets done. That's why you're in the middle somewhere, right? So you can only go so far and you get pushed back on either end of this. And what ended up happening was uh, I got a copy of the permit. What do you think the permit said on there? I think I said it during the story. It, said, it didn't say you need a specific suit. It said that you needed a chem suit. Hmm. It wasn't even written in there clearly. You, hey, you need a chem suit. So, what... No, no specification, no nothing. What ended up, so they, he says, Jim, uh, this project manager, I would make sure you have the right suit picked. I said, we've always had the right suit picked. We're using a Micromax CFR suit. The guy says, oh, one of those red suits? No, a Micromax CFR suit. Oh, no, no a red suit. No, no, Micromax CFR suit. It's rated for this and it has other certain attributes that are good. For example, double zipper. You have a flap over the zipper. We have bonded seams. We have heavy duty things. It's a suit for what we're doing because we're going to be doing something incidental. Okay, good. I'm glad you got it all figured out. We go into the meeting, and we're, you know, it's like I have the tribunal, right? And it's like from that Star Trek episode with uh, Captain Picard getting, uh, getting uh, interrogated by the Cardassians. Not the Cardassians, the Cardassians. They asked him, how many lights are there? I see four lights. And they said, no, there are five lights. 
But anyway, I digress. I went there and they said, okay, Jim, what kind of, we had this accident. I said, okay, yeah, I heard about it. Well, we need you to, what kind of suit are you going to use? I said, well, you know, I went out and uh, this was in January. I believe it was this week. I said, I went out and for Christmas, I got myself a the chemical guide for uh, PPE, for the right chemicals and PPE. We're all familiar with the book and for an hazmat. And I said, I went out and I bought this book for Christmas and I looked up what we needed because I knew the job was coming up and I chose this suit. And these are the attributes. Oh, you're using the red suit. No, I'm using a microchem suit CFR. Oh, you're using a red suit. No. Okay, so we go into, right? I just can't win here. I said, so they said, no, you can't use that suit. I said, okay, well, what suit do you want us to use? You have to use a pickle suit. And I said, pickle suit? What's a pickle suit? I've been doing this for 25 years. What's a pickle suit? You know, a pickle suit. No, I don't know. What exactly is a pickle suit? Well, you know, it's a good screen. I said, okay. I know of about five different kinds of green suits out there. I have never heard of a pickle suit. They said to me, I said, I said, okay, well, I'm gonna, we're going to have a frank discussion here. Can we have a frank discussion? They said, certainly, we wish you would. I said, the person with the most amount of hazmat experience here on the, at this facility out of anybody in your management or any management here is me, number one. I have the certified hazardous materials manager credential. I have... 20 years of 25 years of experience with hazardous materials you chose not to use me even after i offered to do this for free for you help participate in the accident investigation they said yeah well you're taking this personally i said i'm not taking this personally i saw the accident report because well you're not supposed to get that accident report i said well i got the accident report i'm not going to say from who but you'll probably figure it out from who and strangely enough one of the main root causes for this accident was not named in here. At least not in writing. I'm sure it was mentioned in the background. They said, well, what, what was that? I said, well, on the work permit, it said, what it said, what do you think it said? Chem suit. There are many different types of chem suits out there. There are regular Ty Tyvek suits. You have Tycam QC suits, you have Tycam, no, uh, this suit, that suit, you have all different types of chem suits and are only good for the chemicals that they're rated for. I said, I went through the book here and I found out that this is the rated for this. Now I go and I look through here, there is nowhere in there that says pickle suit. And one of the root causes for you folks for this guy to have a fourth degree chemical burn that he's going to have a very lengthy recovery on. And my understanding is, is that he's already in the hospital getting skin grafts from his rear end to his knee. Right? And it's because you guys don't specify what suit you need. 
You have a damn chem suit. These guys are not only these guys are 19, 10, 120 trained. By the way, no, that was also uh, omitted from the report proper training for this guy. This guy had no training. He had an OSHA 10-hour course, which is an awareness level training. Not even a 30-hour outreach, a 10-hour construction outreach. And this, and you can see the uh, squirming and everybody going down. Well, uh, I said, now, we chose this suit based on this reason. It's good for the chemical, double thing, this, blah, blah, blah. So now, enlighten me as to what a pickle suit is. Well, it's a pickle suit. That's what we call them. So does this pick? Do you have a pickle suit? They said, "Yeah, we do." I, yeah, let's go get it. So they bring in, uh, and I won't mention the brand name, but it was a PVC rain suit, one piece over over uh, coveralls. I said, and I looked on there, and I said, "Now we have a name for us to look up in a catalog." And I can guarantee it's not going to say pickle suit, but I can see why you would call it that because it's green. I said, do you realize that one in 12 people are colorblind and one in 12 men are colorblind and you really shouldn't be using colors? Okay. I said, look, I'm not busting traps here. I just don't want anybody to get hurt again. I said, it's going to take a minimum of two to three weeks to get this suit because this is a special order suit, this one that you want. Every supplier that I'm looking here and seeing here with this, two to three weeks. Can you get another supplier? What they ended up doing was they were able to procure a supply of these suits on very short notice because the job had to happen in within 48 hours. And they paid through the nose for these pickle suits and everything. So... Again, don't go by colors. Now, how do we manage this, right, with this? I would say, no, you're going to say, well, Jim, you're blaming the worker. I'm not blaming the worker. Supervisors who are making out the permits and the su their supervisors have to allocate enough resources and everything for the work that you're doing. You have to allocate the resources. You have to allocate the training. You have to allocate time. You have to allocate money. You have to allocate the right people for the job. Right from the beginning, none of this was right with this person. Right? They, uh, uh, and what happened was that insult to injury, the permit was for a different kind of work. So somehow, usually when there's a major accident, major injury, something is going on where there's not a permit, there's not a plan, it's outside of the scope of work, something like that, right? Because usually if people could plan out their work, they're going to be more successful in all ways, you know, production-wise, safety-wise, in every way possible. So, I said, well, a couple of things you could do. You could, one, uh, make sure that the employees only use company-issued equipment. I was talking to a client last week where they, I said, well, what, what happened last year? Did you have any accidents and everything we have to go over in your eight-hour house offer training? Want us to review this? Tell them, make it. They said, yeah, we tell them that they cannot bring their own tools to work. They have to use our tools because somebody used a machete that they brought from home and they ended up with five stitches. Okay, when they were using it. All right, they didn't have, I said, okay, that's, uh, that's something we could cover. And uh, the other thing is this. When you're 
dealing with PPE, especially with hazmats, limit the choices of PPE and try to only have one or two people who know what's going on, who you can rely on. And I know that's against uh, that, no, having a lot of capacity into a system. But you try to have one or two people or three people who are in charge of this stuff and having the supervisors and the auditors know what the correct suits are, what the correct gloves are, what the correct equipment is for the job, right? And this is how you add, no, you have experienced people running the jobs, right? And that's how you handle that. The same thing with gloves. You don't have 20 different types of gloves. You're going to confuse people. You have two or three types of gloves. Now you're limiting their choice and you're, more importantly, maximizing their chance of success. You're setting them into the skills mode where they are less likely of making a mistake. The Jens Rasmussen skills, rules, and lack of knowledge mode. You have to end up putting them, try to put them into the skills mode. Pardon me, I had to cough. Hold on. Uh, let's go to commercial right now so I could get something to drink. I'll be right back. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's Safety Today. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com in the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blake. Dane Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. And I am back. So, what? Now, this has using the right names, the right things, has broad implications. I'm sure we all can have that. We can, we've all experienced it. Now, get me the thing, right? Get me uh, the yellow suit. Now, there's three yellow suits. No, and then uh, no. To everybody's credit, they learned and they improved with this. It was all part of human and organizational performance. You did some more training, more communication. The supervisors knew what was going on, and we no. Everybody learned and improved. And what ended up happening at that facility uh, was everybody who was issuing permits 
the work on the job, they specified exactly what suit you were going to need, what kind of gloves you were going to need, and everything else. Even with the safety data sheets, everybody preaches safety data sheets and this and that. They're not necessarily going to tell you uh, what specific protection you're going to need. Use an impervious glove or an impervious suit. Something like that. Use a, 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 an appropriate suit. It's not going to be use a Tychem suit. Use a Tyvek suit. Use a Micromax CFR suit. They're not going to tell you that. So you have to go out and you have to figure that out. And that's where having an experienced safety professional or trained supervisors who know what they're doing with that. Now, now, something else I want to point out to you is that these suits do have updates to them. Many of them have expiration dates. So what ends up having to happen is that you need to keep track of that, especially in, so what I do is periodically, usually every January, I tell my clients to go through their suits, go through their PPE, go through their JHAs, go through their safety plans, update them as necessary, review them, make sure that you're using the correct equipment, there weren't up, uh, uh, updates to the equipment. Uh, because I tell you what, uh, I've been at places where they required a certain suit and the, these guys went and got, well, you know, yellow suit. They required a yellow suit. We required this suit. Oh, it's yellow, isn't it? Well, we have some yellow suits over there from a job we were on 15 years ago. Then you go through there. The suits are, they may be brand spanking new out of the box, but they're, uh, they're uh, degraded, Right there, uh, they may not not be applicable to suit uh, to what you need today because uh, they do they make them differently. They're good for different chemicals 15 years ago than today. Maybe they're defective, what have you, and that's also that could happen. So you try to put people into the skills mode with the least amount of error. So you set up, you limit their choices on the PPE. You have them. Uh, use company-issued equipment. This way you're all in control of that and you could do training on your specific equipment. The problem, uh, no, especially with a lot of small businesses, they run out of something. Where do they go? Their local department store, their local box chain. They may order things online. This is, not, this is a recipe for disaster, uh, disaster because they may not be getting the right equipment uh, and this is where you need to watch out for, especially respirators, suits, and other chemical protective equipment. And we're going to go right into, we're going to have a little bit of music we're going to set up for our regular stuff. We're going to talk about some of the OSHA news releases and everything else uh, today. Uh, I have to get that, call off those uh, screens on the computer. So I'll be right back.
Okay, we are back. We're all set up here. I figured I wasn't going to hit you with two commercials that are all the same, right? Twice in a row here. This is from the OSHA website with their news releases. This is from Region 6 from January the 4th. Now, they just posted this today because I've been looking back all, no, all every night that we're doing a, uh, doing a thing, right? Doing a uh, program. There I am, not using the right words. And even I'm guilty of it. U.S. Department of Labor investigation of fatal equipment rollover incident finds a Texas fencing contractor exposed workers to deadly safety hazards. And this had to do with a deceased teen worker. A federal workplace and safety investigation into how a 15-year-old worker tragically suffered fatal injuries while installing fencing in Guthrie has found the employer failed to follow required workplace safety standards. Ocean inspectors went to the worksite on July 6th and learned the teenager had been trapped under heavy equipment. They determined that the employer had illegally modified a loader and failed to provide adequate training or personal protective equipment, such as a hard hat, gloves, and safety glasses. The company also did not report the workplace fatality within eight hours after it occurred, which is a record-keeping violation, another violation for which the OSHA issued a citation. This tragic event cut short a worker's life before they entered adulthood. This uh, deadly incident might have been prevented at legally required standards. Proven methods for protecting workers from serious construction hazards had been followed. Proposed penalties are $20,512 uh, for uh, five, five violations of federal uh, violations. Let's look at that. They have a link to this. Do, do, do. We're scrolling on down. Citation one, serious. The employer, it was a general duty clause violation. The employer did not furnish uh, employment in a place of employment which was free of recognized hazards. All right. The employees were exposed to struck by hazards from modifications added to a loader without the manufacturer's written approval. That was a $4,300 proposed uh, violation. Second one, serious. This was 1926.21. Again, this was... Uh, now, JHAs are usually issued for this to resolve this. The employer did not instruct each employee in the recognition and avoidance of unsafe conditions and the regulations applicable to the work environment. Hmm. All right, for those, $4,351. Number three, personal protective equipment vi uh, violations. Right, meaning gloves with barbed wire fencing. That didn't have anything to do with the actual incident. The employer did not provide employees with safety glasses. Right, around working in and around a hammer post driver. Another, the next one, no hard hat. Right, I've seen a couple of injuries from people not wearing a hard hat on, with a slide hammer. And the last one was reporting uh, the death within eight hours of, death of the employee, right? So well, this is where uh, companies foul up a little bit. What happens is the they feel that OSHA already knows about this stuff because there's an ambulance called. That's not the way it works. OSHA 
some I've heard stories about OSHA monitoring police scanners back in the day. Now there's an app for that. And uh, hearing about uh, fatality and then just waiting for the employer to call. Right? Uh, and I'm going to tell you, every time, depending on what area of the country you're in, because I think all of them have an agreement with OSHA, is that whenever there is a uh, uh, fatality, workers' comp payout, something like that, 911 call, OSHA gets notified. All right? I've had a couple of clients get caught with that. So uh, this is another one, a whistleblower uh, thing. Federal safety and health investigators have determined that one of the nation's largest airlines retaliated against flight attendants who reported working on this is caused by, and this makes, again, not using proper terminology, toxic fumes entering aircraft cabins. They should know better. Should be toxic gases or exhaust, something like that. And apparently there was a, uh, this airline retaliated against the uh, 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 employer. They filed complaints for the company and FAA. And the flight attendants alleged the airline docked attendance points and discouraged them from repeatedly work, reporting work-related injuries or illnesses. So the proposed fine is $6,800 uh, and some change. So that's uh, no, that's what it is. Realize that even though this wasn't an OSHA violation, this is covered by another agency. OSHA does uh, investigate and manage uh, whistleblower complaints for the government. U.S. Department of Labor renews star designation of Millstone Power Station for workplace safety and health achievement. Nuclear power generation facility maintained safety distinctions since 2004. This is a Millstone Power Station, Waterford, Connecticut, owned by Dominion Energy. Uh, they employ 1,200 workers, including 300 contractors. And OSHA first recognized the Millstone Power Station in 2004 as a star site, the highest level of recognition that the agency's VPP program offers. The facility earned its latest VPP star renewal following an on-site evaluation in July of 2022. Okay, very prestigious. Congratulations to all. U.S. Department of Labor reminds certain employers to submit required 2022 injury and illness data by March 2nd, 2023. OSHA is uh, reminding employers that the agency is collecting calendar year 2022 form 300A data. Employers must submit the form electronically by March 2nd. Uh, you should go and check the OSHA website, the AITA coverage application, to determine if they are required to report their injury and illness information to OSHA. So, uh, look into it. We'll probably do a program on that, closer to that. U.S. Department of Labor again finds a barley supplier exposing workers to workplace safety hazards at a Wisconsin malt house. A Wisconsin company that supplies malt barley to major craft breweries, home breweries, and other sphere and food production in the Midwest has again been cited by OSHA. The U.S. DOL's OSHA has raised $174,000 in proposed penalties. Wow. So what do we got them here for? Uh, 
Let's see. They expose workers to amputation and other injuries by failing to adequately implement and periodically test procedures for controlling hazardous energy before servicing and maintenance. In 2019, OSHA cited the company for similar violations, so they got them on repeat. The company also failed to implement a permit-required confined space program and train workers on the confined space entry hazards. By the way, if you want to find out how, give us a call 845-269-5772. Inspectors also found the company's safety failures exposed workers to fall hazards from the roof and entanglement and amputation hazards created by unguarded augers. Dangers like those, quote, this is from Robert Bob Banach and Appleton. Dangers like those we identified in this inspection are common in the manufacturing industry. Uh, this company, again, put workers who convert volume into malt at risk of serious machine hazards and other hazards. So... It's uh, an older company, too. Uh, I'm actually surprised. Uh, da -da -da. Next. All right. National Human Trafficking Awareness Day is recognized each year on January 11th. In recognition of this important day and throughout the month of January, Blue Campaign hosts several special events and educational activities. You can find out more at dhs.gov. They have a link right on their homepage. Uh, Blue Campaign's largest in initiative is Wear Blue Day. To, aware to wear raise awareness of human trafficking, we invite the public to take photos of themselves, friends, family, and colleagues wearing blue clothing and share them on social media, along with our hashtag, Wear Blue Day hashtag. Anyone can participate. All you need is a piece of blue clothing. All right, so that's something to remember for tomorrow. Do, do. What do we got here? We're going to go into the financials. <laughs> and. For uh, the Dow Jones Industrials. Uh, they closed at 33704 up zero, up 0 0.56 percent S&P 500 closed at 3919.25 up 0.7 percent Nasdaq closed at 10742.63 up 1.01 percent Russell 2000 1822.65 up 1.49 U.S. 10-year Treasury notes went up to and. 30 seconds close at 3.596 percent bitcoin continues its march upward at 17.470.04 crude oil is at 74.68 realize that those last two are in real time the commodities are all in real time so when you're listening to this it may be different even though we like to get out ahead of everybody and now for the uh Monday uh, for the Wednesday morning stories. Gold is at 1887.50. Silver 2388. Platinum at 1096.90. Palladium at 1813. That fell slightly. So all the commodities are up except palladium that fell slightly. All right. Uh, we haven't had this update in a while. Nuke plot. 
counter terror cops and security services investigating after deadly shipment of uranium seized at Heathrow Airport. Counter terrorism, terror, counter terror cops. I cannot speak to them. And security services are investigating after deadly shipment of uranium was seized at Heathrow. Okay, the undeclared nuclear material can be used in a dirty bomb. What's that? That's a, a bomb, a regular conventional bomb that is uh, wrapped in nuclear material, and it's a regular bomb is used as a dispersion device. It's primarily uh, causes a panic, right? So, uh, Governor Newsom recovered her homeless problem, right? That up. Newsom pledges millions to clear California homeless and camp, 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 encampments. While discussing his wishes for the 23 to 24 state budget on Monday, California Governor Gavin Newsom said he wants to dedicate $750 million to declaring the state's homeless encampments. We want to see accountability. People who want to see these encampments cleaned up, they're fed up, people agree. They want to see more accountability for dollars invested. So we go. Uh, uh, to local governments uh, in part of a larger $15.3 billion package. Okay, I tell you what. You can't just clear them. You gotta help these people. If they can be helped. Right? You gotta manage them. You have to be kind. You have to have empathy. As I always say, right, and my father, right, uh, rest in peace, Dad. I, now, this is one of the main things I'm going to remember you taught me. One or two mistakes, and you could be just as easily out on the street homeless. And you, right there, right? Health care issues, financial issues, any other issues. Uh, and it's important to remain empathetic. And that's what I want to leave you with tonight. Be empathetic. Help people. Be an inspiration towards people. You know, Everything along those lines. That's how we're going to get through this. We're going through some tough times in the country. I think if we all stick together, if we all try to get along, have some understanding with each other, we're going to make it through. And that's how we're going to win that safety war. For Safety Wars Live, this is Jim Polzel. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.